This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Heidman. And I'm Kelly King. Last summer, we were able to provide the full teaching sessions for Jen Wilkins, the Sermon on the Mount Bible Study, right here on the Mark Podcast. We heard from so many of you that you loved that content and you wanted to hear more like it. So for the next eight weeks, we are going to do Kelly Mentor's All Things New Bible Study together. We'll release the audio of one teaching session per week right here on the Mark Podcast. All Things New is one of several Bible studies Kelly Minter has published with LifeWay, and she has graciously granted us permission to play the audio here. Please note that this is copyrighted material, so we ask that you not reproduce it. Now before we dive in, know that the teachings in these sessions expand on the work that you'll do in the Bible study book. So for the full impact of the study, you'll want to get the Bible study workbook. You can purchase the book at LifeWay.com slash AllThingsNew. We have a sample session there if you want to use it while you wait for your book to come in the mail. These audio teaching sessions will be available for a limited time due to copyright restrictions. We will leave the audio up until April 30th. We hope that gives you time to get the book and study along with us. Over eight sessions, Kelly Minter is going to lead us through the letter of 2 Corinthians, exploring the anchoring truths of bearing treasures in jars of clay, meeting Christ through a pressing thorn, opening wide your heart in the midst of hurtful relationships, and what it means to embrace the lost and lonely as ministers of the new covenant. Each of us has a message to proclaim and live by. Because of Jesus, the old has gone and the new has come. Now, here's Kelly Minter. Well, I am so glad that you all are back. I I just have to say, every single session, I think I'm going to tell you that I'm glad you're back because... There is so much content in this letter. And in fact, I hope that you already feel like you've been blessed through some of that as you've gotten through uh, chapters one and into two and into three. And so there are some great things. And tonight I want to get right to it because we are going to dig into chapter three of 2 Corinthians. And so if you have your Bibles here today, would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter three and Let's read the first six verses of chapter three, and then I'll give us a little background. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse one, it says, Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent or sufficient as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. All right, what is going on here? What is Paul talking about? Letters of recommendation and the letter versus the spirit and the old covenant versus the new covenant. 
we talked about it in the introduction that Paul had a lot of opposition coming from the Corinthians. The Corinthians were coming at him. They were questioning his integrity. They were questioning his apostleship. And they were judging Paul by the standards of the world. So he's saying, look, you're looking for a letter of recommendation. You're basically, they wanted Paul to look powerful. They wanted, they wanted social status. They wanted some strong leader to come in by the world standards. So if this were in our day and age, they would want to know how many Twitter followers Paul has. You know? <laughs> how many likes on Facebook? What's your social media power here? They'd, they'd want to know how much money he had. They'd want to maybe know how big his church was. And Paul spends the next four chapters approximately four chapters, basically explaining what Christian ministry looks like versus the way that the world expects life to function. And so we, because as a result of the tension and the hardship and the attacks that were coming for Paul, as a result of that, we get this beautiful four chapters, three, four, five, and six, basically explaining what Christian ministry looks like. And it's totally different from anything else that this world has to offer. So before we talk about the characteristics of what new covenant ministry means, Let's just real briefly talk about Old Covenant versus New Covenant, okay? Because in uh, verse 6, he, Paul says, We've been made competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Okay, what is he talking about? He's saying there was an Old Covenant, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. The law and the Old Covenant, they were good, but they were incomplete. They showed us what we needed to do, but the, the law didn't help us get there. It taught us right and wrong, but it was powerless to change our hearts. You know, a few years ago, there was a family in a very war-torn, from a very war-torn part of the world. And this family came as refugees to Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I live. And I was introduced to them. And I was sitting with the woman uh, one day, and I said, okay, tell me, you've been here a few months. What's your favorite thing? about living in the United States of America. You know, especially I'm thinking just all the, 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 the fear and the terror and just the war-torn nature of where she had come from. So what's your favorite thing? And I'll never, ever forget her response. She looked up at me and she said, the law. The law. I said, the law? I thought you were going to say, like, cookie dough ice cream or... <laughs> I don't know, like movies or, you know, we got some really good pizza over here in some place. I don't, I don't know. I just, the law, you could have given me a hundred guesses and I wouldn't have gotten to the law. But for someone who comes from a place that's war-torn and no one enforces the law and there is no right versus wrong because it's just all thrown out the window and both are confused. Right is wrong and wrong is right and, and light and dark have all been switched. And when you come from that type of a place, you can imagine the law is great. And so we're going to find out later in this chapter that there's a certain amount of glory that comes with the law. And I think one of our misconceptions is we think that old covenant, oh, the old covenant's bad, the law's bad. No, no, law's good, old covenant's good, but it was incomplete. It couldn't fix our hearts. 
And so even though my friend who said, man, I love the law here, still there's a ceiling there because yes, the law here does create a certain measure of peace, but it doesn't change our hearts, does it? it you may not rob a bank because you're afraid that you're gonna get put in jail, but you may still want to rob a bank. <laughs> the law's not gonna change your heart there. So there's a certain amount of glory, but the problem is Paul says this, he says that old covenant, it's about, it's this letter and it, three things he tells us, it kills, it brings death, and it condemns. But Paul says, I have a totally different ministry. And, and he uses this word ministry or service that might be in your Bible, I think 20 times in 2 Corinthians alone. And here's the thing, it's not just the Apostle Paul's ministry, it's our ministry. If, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have this ministry, and it's not an old covenant ministry. We go around cracking our whip on people because they have broken the law. No, it's much more glorious than that. So again, let me close this segment up of Old Covenant versus New Covenant. You might be thinking, okay, how did we get from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant? Why does Paul, how is Paul shifted with this new ministry that, that you and I get to share in and be part of? Well, would you turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, 3, and 4? Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. And this just kind of puts it out for us. It says this. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. So you see here that what the law was powerless to do and that it could not save us, God did by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ fulfilled the law for us. And that's why we have this freedom and this forgiveness and we are part of new covenant ministry, okay? So now we're gonna really launch into chapter three and I'm gonna give you five characteristics of what it means to be a new covenant minister. And maybe you've never thought about it, but we are ministers of a new covenant, and this is exciting. Look back at verse 3, chapter 3. Paul says, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So the first characteristic of new covenant ministry is this. It's a ministry about people's hearts. The first characteristic of New Covenant ministry is that it's a ministry all about people's hearts. And so if in your ministry, whatever that looks like, whether you're in full-time ministry or it's the ministry that you have in your church or it's the ministry that you have in your workplace or in your home, if you have lost sight of people's hearts, you've lost sight of what it means to be a New Covenant minister. And the thing is, is that we can actually be about people and numbers and masses and lose sight of their hearts. So first characteristic is a ministry about people's hearts. And then second in verse six, it says that he has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant. So the second characteristic of new covenant ministry is this. It's that it's a ministry for which God equips us. Okay, new covenant ministry is a ministry for which God equips us. 
Now, it's so interesting because where we happen to be filming this Bible study is right off Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee. And I knew that. I knew where we were filming, but I didn't think about it until I started walking up to the room, to the building, a few days ago. And I was carrying my guitars, and I'm walking up Music Row, and I look across the street, and I remember that 15 years ago, when I was seven, um, I, you guys laughed way too fast at that. And I did this Bible study, and it was all about uh, a Bible study for people who were in the arts and who were in music. And at the time, one street over, I was signed to a record deal, and there's a record company one street back from that building where I was doing the Bible study. And as I was going through that study, I was in the process of losing my first record deal, which is the whole reason why I moved from Washington, D.C. area to Nashville. And here, here I am, and I want to do music, and I want to have this great ministry, and you just couldn't believe, if you had followed my career for the first uh, seven years, it was disastrous. And then all of a sudden, it occurred to me, as I'm walking up into this room to teach this Bible study of 2 Corinthians, that the whole time, God was making me a sufficient minister. It didn't feel like that. It felt terrible. It, the, the first several, several years that I was in Nashville was just awful. I mean, my, I would call my mom and dad, and my dad, bless his heart, he said, Kelly, your career is like a miracle in reverse. <laughs> it's so bad. So painful. And then I, this sweet, lovely woman that I worked with, she had been a manager of, mu of music. 20 years, she had managed all these artists, and, and literally, she took me out for the nicest steak dinner, and then she said to me this, I have never seen anything not work this much. <laughs> but the whole time, what I didn't understand is that the Lord was actually enabling me to do ministry. He was making me a sufficient minister. That word might say made you competent or made you sufficient, but it's to render you fit, to equip one with adequate power to perform one's duties. Now, why do, I, why do I say that the Lord was equipping me during that time? Well, he was humbling me, major. He was helping me realize that I am not to depend on myself, but on him. He was stripping me of myself and of my flesh, because we know from the scripture that all of that stuff just needs to die if you're going to be an effective minister. He was teaching me about who he is. There was a great deal of work that he did in my life and as all of that music stuff was coming crashing down to the ground, because the thing is, when God makes you able for your ministry, it's got to be, it's his ministry. It's not your dream of what you think your ministry should be. And I had this big dream of, like, I was going to be just wealthy and famous, all for the glory of God. <laughs> and I still get to do music, and I'm so excited that I'm going to get to actually do some today. But the point being is the Lord was, he was changing what he had for me to do. And he was taking me through that humbling time to prepare me and equip me and make me an able minister. Now, given that, let me just tell you how much of a non-able minister I feel so many days. 
And that's why this is so important for us to hear because Paul says this is not our confidence is before God. This is not because we are competent in and of ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. See, I think that that's why when the Lord's making you sufficient, you might be in a time where he is just breaking you down. But that's because he's working out the sufficiency in you and that when you are ministering and when he does really reveal that to you, you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the Lord. Because we can get so proud, can't we? when we think we've done it. And this is encouraging to me, and I hope that it's encouraging to you because you know what? You're gonna be in a hospital room and you're not gonna know what to say in your flesh, but the Lord will make you able. You might be in the middle of a very difficult relationship and you don't know what to do, but the Lord will give you what you need he will make you able. That is what he says. So that's number two. It's a ministry for which God equips us. Now, let's keep reading verses 7 through 11, okay, of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, Paul says this, Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Okay, will you know that from your, from your homework, you've actually covered already this text. And so I took you back to Exodus chapter 34 in your homework, and you've read about this. But just a very quick recap. Remember, this is the second time that Moses is about to deliver the Ten Commandments to the Israelites. Because the first time, you know, he comes down. And he's, you know, he's got the Ten Commandments. So this is pretty special. And people are doing a lot of really bad things down on the bottom of that mountain. And they've made a golden calf in his bad, bad, bad scene. And Moses gets so angry, he smashes the tablets. Well, in God's great compassion, he has Moses get two new ones. And the Lord's going to give it to the Israelites again. And so Moses is with the Lord he communes with the Lord. He gets those tablets. He comes down and he begins to speak to the Israelites. And they see Moses and they are flipped out because his face is shining. And Moses is not even aware that his face is shining. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. But I'm telling you that when you are with the Lord and when you have been in the presence of the Lord, your face really does shine. Your countenance shines. It's, there's, there's, a, there's a difference in people. But this was even beyond that. This was something that they, like visibly, this major shining. And so they were terrified of it. And so Moses said, come back. And it says that he put a veil over his face. Okay, so that's what Paul's talking about. He says that the Israelites couldn't look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory fading though it was. 
And then Paul says, will not the ministry of the Spirit be that much more glorious? Because remember, the ministry of Moses was the ministry of the law. And remember, that law was good, but it wasn't complete and it couldn't save us. And so Paul says, if that was glorious, fading, how much more glorious is the glory that will last? And I'll tell you, when I got to that in uh, verse 11, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? I just have to be honest with you. I'm so tired of things that don't last in this world. I had my niece over the other night, and she spent the night, and she's three years old, and I don't even think she's hardly ever done this before in her entire life, but she started throwing up at midnight. And you've just never seen an aunt get out of her bed so fast and carry a child across furniture and white rugs and all that kind of stuff. And all night long, oh, it was just, it was like something else. But we bonded. I mean, we are like, we are thick as thieves after that night, okay? But do you know that out of all the nights in the history of, of life, my washing machine breaks? You know, and that's just not the night. That's not the night. I mean, I can't even tell you the stuff that really, really needed to be cleaned that day, right? And so the guy comes out, you know, a few days later, and I'm like, okay, listen. He says, yeah, that thing's shot. I said, okay, that's fine. I'm willing to spend the money. Just tell me something. Which is the best one on the market? What's going to last me, okay? What's going to last? And he goes, nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, you are the bearer of bad washing machine news. I can't. And, and it's true, though. I, it's true. Nothing is made to last, it seems like. And even the things in our lives, like relationships, or you finally get a great neighbor and they move away, or you finally have this, and, and nothing lasts. And praise God that one of the characteristics of this ministry is, is that it's a, it's, a, it's a glorious ministry that lasts, that it's never going to end. Moses, the, the glory that Moses had was fading, and so he put this veil over his face. Okay, so that is what Paul's talking about in verses 7 through 11, okay? Now, let's read verses 12 through 16, and you guys, just thank you for sticking with me. I know there's a lot of verses um, today, but there's some great stuff here. Okay, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Praise God. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. All right, we're about to get our third characteristic of New Covenant ministry, and it's this. It's a ministry of boldness. Third characteristic of New Covenant ministry is that we have a ministry of boldness. Where do I get that from? Verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. But let me tell you, this part of the ministry, this is my struggle. Because I'm a people pleaser. And so I can't tell you how many times I've gotten on an airplane and somebody sits next to me and there's either they say that they're blatantly opposed to God and Christianity and all things spiritual or they give that off in some way and then they ask me, so... So, like, what do you do? <laughs> and I'm always like, um, well, and it's not that I don't want to give them the gospel, but it's like, well, I, um, 
I, so I kind of teach, I uh, do, I write Bible studies and um, kind of mostly for women, really all just for women. And, um, and I, I teach the Bible at a lot of women's conferences. And, and you can just feel people like, what? What? What do you do? And, and, and then I, I think, okay, well, and then I sit there and I think, okay, how do I, how do I talk about the, how do I talk about this lasting glory and this hope and this, you know, and it, it's, it's like a hard entry point sometimes, you know? And, and I want to be more bold. And let me just tell you something. The Lord is making me more bold. And it, praise God. I, I, you know, there's different people that I meet out and about. And I've just started like, hey, you, hey so, um, so my church meets here. And uh, so I've got this Bible study in my house. I don't know if you want to come to it, but it would be really cool if maybe you did. And, or if you don't want to do that, maybe we could take, just take a walk or go have coffee. Or, I mean, I get really nervous. But at least I'm trying to be more bold. Because why? Because I have a hope. I have a hope, and, and so, so here's what's so important about what we just read, is that Paul uses the veil, he uses that metaphor in two different ways, okay? We see here in verses 14 through 16 that Paul is talking about the veil. He says, when the old covenant is read, there's this veil. And he says, only in Jesus Christ is it taken away. We've all had those experiences where we're talking about forgiveness and we're talking about how it's a free gift of, the, of, of Jesus Christ and salvation and we're having those conversations and it's like people just, it's just this veil. They either reject it outright or they say, oh, I know, mm -mm. you don't understand my past, you don't understand my sin, you don't understand my choices. I, that could never be true for me. And this veil sits over the heart of unbelievers. But here's what's so beautiful, is that it says when people turn to the Lord, the veil's removed. It's so simple that when anyone turns to the Lord, when they turn to Jesus Christ, the veil is removed, and you get it. You get it. I remember uh, being with my mom, in the Amazon jungle, and I was, my dad was there too. Um, and we were ministering, and, and my mom was giving her testimony about when she heard the gospel for the first time, when she heard that Jesus Christ had died for her sins and had washed her clean, she said, a light exploded in my head. A, a light just exploded exploded in my head. I just couldn't believe it. It was like the veil was removed and the glory just came. And, and so she gave this amazing testimony. And, and I had not even really heard that. I was like, wow, mom. And, and so my dad's a little bit more technical. And he's like, his name is Mike. My mom's name is Kay. And he's like, Kay, I mean, really, a light exploded. And she's like, Mike, a light exploded. Okay. <laughs> that is what happened. I, I heard the gospel and this light just went off. You know, because the veil had been removed. She had turned to Christ and she got it. Okay, but there's another veil that Paul talks about. And that's in verses 12 and 13. And it's the veil that we put over our faces as believers. See, Paul says we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face. Why would Paul say that? Well, because some Corinthians clearly had veils over their faces. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me. Either 
those who don't know the Lord are wearing a veil and haven't turned to Jesus, or we're wearing a veil and haven't told them about Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? There are those out there in the world, and they, they haven't turned to Jesus because they have this veil over their heart. But part of the reason they have a veil over their heart is because we have a veil over our face, and we haven't told them about the good news of the gospel. Others may not get the veil off their heart until we get the veil off our face. And when I got that in this section, these two veils, I thought, oh, Lord, I don't want anybody to miss you. I don't want anybody to keep a veil on their heart because I haven't been bold to get the veil off my face because I haven't shared the gospel and shared Jesus Christ at every opportunity that I have. I want to live out the third characteristic of this new covenant ministry, and it's that we are very bold and our faces need to be unveiled. All right, last two verses. Here we go. Verses 17 and 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul says right away at the very top in verse 6 that, we don't have this ministry of the old covenant. We have a new ministry, and it's the ministry of the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I am asking the Lord for more and more freedom. But what kind of freedom? What, what freedom is he talking about? He's, this freedom has to do with being able to be unveiled before the Lord. We don't have to cover our shame or our weaknesses our sin, all of that has been covered in Jesus Christ. And we have this incredible freedom to be unveiled before the Lord. And that's why where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom because we're not living back under that law. We're not all stressed out trying to keep everything and knowing we can't keep it and being condemned all along the way. No, we're over here under the spirit with this great freedom. Not freedom to sin, but freedom to be clean before the Lord and to be righteous. You know, I, I, I just was in the Amazon just a few weeks ago, and I, was, I, I had with me, I was so delighted, I had Angela Thomas, who is a Bible teacher and an author, and, and if you don't know this about her, she also happens to be one of the funniest humans on planet Earth. And we were ministering in this particular village, and we gave the gospel to this, um, this, this young woman named Gabriella who's been prostituted. All this horrible stuff has happened to her. And I have been visiting her for the last six years, me and several others from Justice and Mercy International. And we just knew that this was the time. This was the day of salvation. We're gonna, you're going to study that next week, but it was the time. And so we got to her house, and we began to talk to her about the Lord. And I began to explain elements of the gospel and Jesus Christ's forgiveness, and, and, and not just for her sin, but even all the stuff that had been done to her. There was so much just darkness that she had gone through. And you could just see it in her countenance so weighed down. And then Angela began to share, and we both kind of just tag-teamed back and forth, back and forth. And then I had the opportunity to pray with her, and she repeated after me and called out on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save her. And that veil was removed. And 
Angela said afterward to Gabriella, she said, do you know what, what I do when I'm forgiven? No. Angela goes, I say, woo, woo, yes, Lord, amen. And she did this whole dance, and it was five times that. And I was like stepping back, and I thought, oh, no, what's going to happen here? And Gabriella started laughing so hard. She thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And one of my friends said she was probably thinking, finally, they brought someone fun to the jungle. <laughs> it was awesome. We have a ministry of freedom as New Covenant believers. And lastly, number five, we have the ministry of unfading glory. It's a ministry that lasts. Did you catch that at the very end? He says, we with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. That word ever-increasing, it's, it's, it's to have this change of heart and then to have a visible manifestation our faces should change. You know, you go to get makeup stuff and it says like bright, you know, shiny. And, and I went the other day and, and I was, to this lady, I said, oh yeah, I, I, want the, I want that. It says bright, I want a bright face. And so she goes, all right. And then she told me the price and I'm like, do you know 2 Corinthians 3.18? Because it's cheaper. Like, I, can't, I can't afford that bright, but we can have a bright face in the Lord. And we should because we've been transformed. Our countenances should be different. It should be visible to other people. All right, a ministry about people's hearts. It's a ministry for which God equips us. It's a ministry of boldness. It's a ministry of freedom and it's a ministry of unfading glory. Why? Why is that true? Why do we get to do that? How do we get to do that? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this. This is the reason why. Because God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why we get to be ministers of the new covenant. Because the one who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. One of my favorite songs is the song Rock of Ages. And I didn't even realize it when I was studying this passage. But, you know, when Paul is talking about the unveiled face of Moses, right before that, the unveiled face of Moses is in chapter 34, but right before that in chapter 33, Moses actually asks God to show him his glory. And the Lord says, I will show you my glory, but I'm going to have to tuck you in the cleft of a rock because it will be so overpowering. And so he was tucked in the cleft of a rock as the glory of God passed by. And when I was reading that text, all of a sudden I realized, oh my goodness, that beautiful hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Well, it's no longer just a rock out of Exodus. The rock, we know, is Jesus. 
And so that righteousness, that purity, the forgiveness, the covering of his blood were tucked in him because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. All right, ready for a rock of ages? All right, one, two, three. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Blessed rock of ages, listening to the Mark Podcast. We'll be releasing all eight teaching sessions of all things new Bible study right here on the podcast for the next eight weeks. As a reminder, we will leave the audio up until April 30th. Be sure to get a Bible study book, schedule some Zoom calls with your Bible study pals, and listen in. 
You can find all of Kelly Mentor's LifeWay Bible studies by going to lifeway.com slash kellymentor. If you're loving this Bible study content like we are, let us know. Tag us at LifeWayWomen or use the hashtag MarkedPodcast on all your social media. Let us know what you're learning. If you like getting Bible study content this way, or if you have ideas for future episodes. We are so grateful you're listening and we want to know how to serve you well. Goodbye.